When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. The kids on Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. From the Consequence Podcast Network, the minds behind the Losers Club comes a new podcast in fantasy terror. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Halloween's a Freddy Krueger podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sounds and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, hello to all the subscribers and thank you for chiming in every single week, leaving those comments, reviews, and ratings for the series of course, if you're not a subscriber, take that moment right now. Please hit the subscribe button. We put out uh, brand new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and would love to keep you up to date on all your favorite artists and what they got going on these days. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Art Alexakis. You know him as the lead singer and mastermind behind the band Everclear. Just over 25 years after the beginning of the band Everclear, and a little over 35 years since he actually started to end music, he's finally done a solo record. It's called Sun Songs, and we're going to get into the ins and outs of this. He says it's a solo record because it's absolutely solo. He's playing everything on. It's also more acoustic-driven. So we'll talk about how that affected his uh, songwriting style going into these tracks. And the themes that he's singing about. Art's never been shy to sing about what's going on in his life, and with the first single, The Hot Water Test, he addresses the ALS diagnosis that he received recently. In fact, in that song, you get the detail-by-detail account of what happened as he went to the doctor and had to call his wife. We'll get the story behind that, as well as the political songs. There are a lot of political songs on this record. White People Scare Me, A Seat at the Table, Orange. Like many other artists, Art is looking out at the news right now and figuring out how that affects him and how that works into his own songwriting. From there, we'll also get an update on what the year holds, not just the solo tour that he's about to embark on, but 2020. It'll be the 20th anniversary of the Everclear Records Songs for an American Movie, and he's planning full-on celebrations of that, and he has an autobiography in the works. But for now, talking about this record, Sun Songs, it's Kyle Meredith with Art Alexakis of Everclear. Hey, Kyle. How you doing? I'm well. It's good to talk to you again, man. Uh, congratulations on this solo record. I know it's been a long time coming. Yeah, man. You know, I've been talking about it for a while. 
And uh, it just seemed like this is the right time to do it. Yeah, now we got to catch up a little bit about it uh, uh, last year when we were talking about some of your older records. But I, I did kind of wonder, you know, as the leader and, and the songwriter of Everclear, what makes this different? Why is it a solo record? Because it's all me. <laughs> I'm playing all the instruments, singing all the vocals. I always write the songs for Everclear, too. So, but it's so this is just in the studio, it was just me and Stuart Shank, who's my engineer slash co producer. And uh, it was just us in the studio for a year, a couple of days a week. And you talked about it. It is more of an acoustic record, right? It's all acoustic guitars, all acoustic basses, all acoustic drums. It's not very pro-tooled at all. It's not auto-tuned. It's, it sounds like a record we would have grown up with in the 70s, you know? And acoustic instruments, I mean, they've played at least a small row throughout your entire catalog, even going back to the older bands. But does it, when you're doing it like this, does it change the actual style of songwriting for you, like how you would write a song? You know, that's a good question. No one's asked me that question. Um, a little bit, yes. But to be honest with you, it's funny. When I, st- when I had the idea of doing this record, I thought it would be more like Nebraska or, or like Iron and Wine or like, you know, like a a James Taylor record or something like that. And I'm just not that guy. I'm a rock and roll guy. So this is an acoustic record with a rock and roll heart for sure. And some songs got away without drums or minimal drums. Some I had to play the drums on. Like the the hot water test is a full drum. You know, I'm rocking that drum kit. And that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that song too because uh, you've always been autobiographical, very confessional in your songwriting. But this one does seem to be quite a bit more personal uh, because it deals with, you know, a new version of life, uh, some version of finality, I guess. I mean, does this seem like it's further down that hole than, than you've allowed yourself to go in the past? No, I don't think it's any more so than like Father of Mine or, or uh, there was a song on our last record called The You that talked about me getting abused when I was eight that I had never talked about or ever thought I'd write a song about, but it seemed like it was time to write that song. And it's really reached out to a lot of people and I think this song will too it will connect with a lot of people going through disease and stuff like that but you know your 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 earlier comment that I always write autobiographical songs I don't yeah. it's about one to two songs per record that are autobiographical it's just those are the ones that tend to connect with people and um have just inadvertently been singles but Santa Monica was an autobiographical everything to everyone wasn't those were number one songs so you know, it, it depends on the song, depends on the record. But this album has is is a lot more personal for me because it's just me. I I'm not bouncing ideas off people. I'm just I just kind of took what was in my heart, my head, and put it on record. I, I will point out a couple of the others too. With white people scare me and a seat at the table. Uh, a lot of artists have in the past few years they've they've kind of tra- had to figure out how do I reflect what I'm seeing in the news. And I was wondering, like for for you. I, and and I am throwing some assumptions that these songs are about that, uh, but but was that has that been a challenge for you about how to sing about that? Yeah, you know the thing is it's funny because someone said this in an interview. Well, you're getting political, and you've never been political before. And I go, dude, then you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> go back and look at my records. There's political songs on every record, going even way before Everclear. So. That being said, yeah, I mean, how can you not be political if, if you're living in this world, especially in this time, at any time, really, but in this time, I mean, our world is kind of on fire right now, and it's not just political, it's it's 
everything. It's a, it's a very divided world right now we're living in. And um, I don't have the answers for that, but I do have my perspectives. And that's what uh, those two songs, and there's a song called Line in the Sand, and there's a, um, another song, House with the Pool. Those are the political songs, and there's personal songs, and there's just um, slice of life songs. So that's what I, the way I've always written, to be honest with you, if you look at all my all the Everclear records. So yeah. it hasn't changed much. I, I think the perspective and the voice has changed because, you know, I've gotten older. I've gone to the top of the mountain, came back down. I laughed because I almost threw in the the title Orange there, too, thinking that's probably not political. But in 2019, that, that color says a lot. It's totally political. It's about Orange County, which has been a, a Republican stronghold for years. And now as of the, the last election, um, it's now blue. And I wrote the song before that, and it's just orange is turning blue, orange is turning blue. That That's the line that repeats a lot. And it's subtly about that um, <laughs> and subtly not. You know, I'm not, it's not, I never try to hit people over the head with a hammer. You got to figure it out. You got to do the work. Uh, with, with all that, though, I did hear, did read or, or hear you say that uh, you also consider this your happiest album, like even with all of that you're talking about. <laughs> in, some of, in some of the songs, yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I got a sweet song called Arizona Star, which is my daughter's name about her and I got a song called Sunshine Love Song that's the first song on the record, a love song to my wife, a song about called California Blood, which is kind of a, a love song to, to my life and just, just me basically becoming a third person. And, you know, most artists and most people have inferiority or low self-esteem and inferiority complexes. And I think having this disease and having my life where it is now and being so grateful for it. I think I've, I, I look at my, my myself and, and don't just see the bad things. I see the good things too. And I think that that's a helpful lesson that I've learned and hopefully other people can pick up on it and enjoy it as well. That's a perfect sentiment right there. Uh, the, the solo tour goes through the fall next year. There's more anniversaries and I know you've been celebrating those. It, it'll be the 25th of Sparkling Fade, but it'll also be the 20th of Songs for an American Movie. Do you, do you see any continuing celebrations in the way you've been doing for those records? Well, yeah, not for Sparkle and Fade, but definitely for um, us, Song for an American Movie. We're going to go out and play the whole record and do a 20th anniversary tour in Australia, the UK, and then the US in May and June. So, yeah, we got a busy year. And plus, I'm writing a book. So and you're writing a big book. year. I cannot wait to read that book when it finally arrives. <laughs> going to be a good one. Yeah, I bet it is. Art, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on Sun Songs. Uh, I look forward to catching these solo shows as well. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. As usual, my thanks to Art's Alexakis of Everclear. The solo record is called Sun Songs. That was just last year that I caught up with Art the last time, uh, talking about the 25th anniversary of the band. He and I got into the early days, uh, how the buzz of South by Southwest helped launch the band, and the story of him bartering musical gear for $400 of studio time to record the band's debut full-length, World of Noise. He'll also get into the uh, need to pay dues as a band, his involvement with the 1998 film Permanent Midnight, and more about this new solo record. This is when we first touched on the uh, the solo record, Sun Songs. It's part two of Kyle Meredith with Art Alexakis of Everclear. First off, I mean, you're on the summer tour right now. You got, uh, what, Local H and Marcy Playground? Is that the bill this time around? Yes, yes sir. Summerland 2018, our sixth year of doing this. And um, it's fun. It's a, it's a very rock and roll tour. There's no keyboards. There's no computers, no tracks, no 
auto tune like a couple uh, you know i don't want to name names but every year there's at least one band that has all the technology and stuff and you know it just doesn't seem very genuine to me i i i'm an old school guy I like guitars bass drums and you know, keyboards are fine but you know just have Having live people play them without a net is really exciting to me, and that's what we've got going on this year. Before we um, get into the new stuff, because I know that's that's an also exciting part to talk about, uh, I, I'd like to hit on some anniversaries, because this happens to be the 25th anniversary of Everclear's first EP and the uh, World of Noise album. That came out in 93. That's true. The thing is, about those, you know, I've, been, I've said it was the 25th anniversary, but it's... It, it, it was re-released, not, not that EP, but the album World of Noise was re-released in 94. And that's when people started really finding out about it. I mean, so it's kind of dubious. I mean, I think I'm thinking about putting out a remastered version with a bunch of tracks, even some tracks from that EP next year. I own that record. So I'm actually looking into doing that. And uh, I, I thought maybe... It'd be better to talk about that stuff when the, the remastered version comes out. But I don't know if you want to talk about it. That's fine. You know, when you're an early start, when you're just starting out, you, you can have that happen. You know, the the demos end up becoming the actual album, and and on and on. Oh, and, and hello, Baruch Assault, nice. Right, yeah. right. Baruch Assault, that was yeah. That was, those were the first recordings, and it showed up on the radio with Fever and was a huge hit and basically started their career for them by getting them the record deal because people in the industry couldn't believe that this little indie single was number one at alternative radio for a couple of weeks for a few weeks it was in the top ten for a long time it's a monster uh, song. And, that, and that was really exciting I was excited when that happened when I look back at that you know Knowing uh, the bit of your history that I can, you know, gather from uh, from the web from uh, before that era and everything, having come from you know what they were calling the cowpunk scene, moving to Portland, grunge explosion had happened at that point. How important was that to shaping the sound of what would become Everclear? I know, I know a few of those songs had existed for a little while, but it did fit in the grand conversation at the time. Well, I, what you what you seen is actually pretty much true in a way but not really because it seems like i just said hey there's grunge going on i'm gonna stop doing this this uh country thing and go up there and do it and that really wasn't the case if you look at what i put out on my indie label shindig you know i had always been into big huge guitars and stuff like that i did like some cowpunk bands but cowpunk was a thing that happened in la pretty much a little bit in, in San Francisco, but that was the early, early 80s, late 70s uh, with bands like Blood on the, the, the Saddle. And there was, there was a few of those bands that that were out there. What I had going on in, in the late 80s in San Francisco was pretty much called the alternative country scene. And I put out a record on my label to commemorate it called Lazy Loud and Liquored Up. And, um, you know, it never really was much of a scene because people just wouldn't play nice together. You know, uh, but there was a bunch of these bands that came up, and I had a band called Easy Hose that came out of that, and I, I just basically started my own label. I borrowed some money from one of the guys I worked with at this printing concern, uh, who was a salesman and made a lot more money than I did, and basically started this little label. And my our first thing was a band called the Easy Hose. 
swear to God, that's lame TV hose. <laughs> and that was my band. I was in that band, but I wasn't the leader of that band. I played guitar and sang and produced and, and uh, sang lead on, I think, two or three songs, something like that, uh, on the album. But that band after that, Colorfinger, was much more aggressive and, and punkish and still had a country kind of feel to it. So I think that's where people get that whole gotcha. cowpunk thing. I was a fan of Cal Park as a kid, but you know, that's in my early 20s, late teens. Anyways, I moved to Portland because I my I had a girlfriend from Portland from touring up there on the original release of uh, Deep in the Heart of the Beast in the Sun, which is the color figure record. I met a girl, and we fell in love, and she came to San Francisco, and she got pregnant, and so we, we moved to Portland. I didn't move to Portland for any other reason. It just was a better place to raise a kid, and I had no idea how to raise a child. So, uh, and plus, she had family there, and I, my, my sister uh, and my mom was soon to move there, but my sister lived there, so it made sense. But at the time, while that was going on, Colorfinger was already starting to get harder and more aggressive, and with the uh, debut. Not, not the debut. I had already started listening to sub pop bands because before that girlfriend, I had a girlfriend who turned me on to sub pop like the year before, and so I was already listening to you know bands like Nirvana and uh, the other sub pop bands. She she signed me up for the Singles of the Month Club, so wow. I was already starting to move in that direction with my songwriting. And then when I moved to Portland, I still kept doing the band down in San Francisco, but. It was just we were on welfare. I couldn't, afford, I couldn't afford to go back and forth, you know. Yeah. So I quit that band and put an ad out for a new band, Everclear. I wanted to call it either Everclear or Sparkle. I wasn't sure which one I was going to call it. And then I put an ad in the, the Rocket, and that's how I met the guys. Yeah. And that's how I started doing that. And that was in 1992. And then the album comes out uh, locally uh, a year after that. And the songwriting is so fully formed at that point. I think that's what's really amazing about that. Of course, you, as you say, you'd been writing for, you know, like a decade, uh, for, you know. At least a decade, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, for sure. I, I've been writing, I started writing songs when I was about 2021. 20, yeah. Because I got, I just got sick. I was playing in punk bands, hard rock bands, cover bands. I just got really sick of dealing with singers who couldn't play an instrument. You know, they'd be like, I don't like that. Can you play something more linear? I'm like, what the hell does linear mean? What do you mean by linear? <laughs> that has nothing to do with music. I don't, unless you're John Cage. I don't know what you mean. Right. So I just, I actually walked out of a rehearsal with the band I was in. I'm just like, all right, I'm doing this. <laughs> And uh, sat on my mom's couch for uh, about a year, just learning how to play other people's songs and, and learning how to write songs and sing and play at the same time. So by the time I wrote the songs for World of Noise, I mean, I brought a lot of those up with me to Portland and then they, they changed a little bit. And what happened is in late 92, I wasn't really sure what was happening with the band. I wasn't sure if it was going to, if we were good or not. And I met a guy like, well, I was digging a ditch. I met a guy on the other side of the wall that I saw all these kind of hip-looking guys go in and out of this garage or this basement. And I'm like, oh, it's got to be a drug deal. You know? <laughs> and here, here I am, like, two years sober, clean and sober, and I'm, like, thinking, man, I wonder what they got going on over there, you know? <laughs> and uh, the guy comes out, and, you know, 
I look over the fence and he sees me and goes, man, you're in that band. You, you guys play around. And I, like, no one ever recognized me because no one knew who we were. But, you know, I guess he'd see me on a Friday night at, at this pub and playing. And I would go, yeah. And he goes, hey, Marco, what are you guys doing, man? You know, he goes, I got a basement. I got a, I got a, uh, a studio in their basement. I go, really? He goes, yeah, I want to see it. I'm like, sure. I go, I'm done digging this ditch. I was doing extra work for uh, someone my wife worked with, you know, for like an extra 200 bucks because mm-hmm. we were poor. So that was my girlfriend who was going to become my second wife. And I, 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 so I literally jumped over the fence, something I couldn't do now if I, you know, if I paid somebody. And I just jumped over the fence and went and looked at it. And it's this little basement studio clean. You had a little quarter inch eight track, Fostex eight track. And I'm like, well, how much you charge him? He goes, 10 bucks an hour. I go, will you take some stuff and trade? He goes, maybe. What do you got? And I told him what I had. I had a MIDI perv and an uh, old analog delay. He goes, yeah, after working, I'll give you $400 worth of trade. And I brought him to him. And that's how much it cost to record all the noise. Jeez. Because that's all I had. And we did it in about two weeks. That, that was in late, late, like November, December 92. And um, I... Uh, before it become became an EP or anything, I I dashed off a a, a uh, tape. I had some tapes made, and uh, I sent one to South by Southwest. And I got back like two weeks later this raving letter accepting us. I'm just like, man, we don't have any money. We have no way to get there. So you know, I just started hustling and convinced some people to let us use their credit cards and rented a van and um and before i left town i put a bunch of packets of you know like you know bio and and uh pictures and cassettes that i made actually as we were leaving town to to go to south by southwest and i had booked us like four or five dates on there and and a few coming back from places i played with color finger i put them in the mail and we were awesome. I was coming back, and I, I called my girlfriend. And I became my second wife. I called her. She's like, "Man, you better get home." I go, "Why?" I was afraid something was wrong with my daughter. And she's like, "There, everybody's writing about you in all the papers. It's like everybody put out a thing saying Everclear, who is Everclear, Everclear's best new band of. It's just like in like." Three local rags, the local newspaper, the local free paper, people were just raving about it. So we went home, and this is 93, we went home and started getting actual gigs. And we became the band in Portland. And a Fire Maple song, it's so, sort of become um, you know, a minor radio hit at that point, I think, but with college radio. Uh, which, not yet. Not was, yet, okay. It was a little bit later. It was a little bit later, because then... This local label reached out to me, TK Records, and then I, we signed a, a short deal with them, and they put out the EP. And then later that year, they put out, uh, the first time, they put out World of Noise, but it didn't really do anything. And so by that time, I had hooked up with this guy who was a, a lawyer down in L.A., and he was managing the band with me, and we decided to hire a... Uh, college radio consultant who would work the record. And I remember it because it cost $700, which was like... Almost twice as much as the money. album. Uh, almost. <laughs> but you know what? It got us to... It got us to and they just called people and, you know, and, and worked it. And it, we got to number seven on the college radio. 
charts, which is really hard to do. It's yeah, hard it to do that because you can't pay for that. Those, those those kids that work at those stations are like they resent when people call them, you know. Mm-hmm. But they were they what they did is they sent the record out and people just glommed onto it. So that was really good. So all the things you're saying that you just uh, just uh, you know, I mean, it took a lot longer than you know just throwing it against the wall to stick. You know, I, I loved it when people were like, wow, your first real band, you you got a platinum record. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Man, uh, seriously? I've been playing in bands since I was 16. I've been writing songs and singing my own songs since I was 22. I was 32 when that happened. And I had been in multiple bands constantly, touring locally, touring internationally, not internationally. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to blow my own horn, but I did my dues, you know. Right. I was right. out there doing doing it, learning, improving. That's how you get good. Is you you just you know it's kind of the the, the ten thousand hours thing. You know, it's just like you've 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 got to put in the time. And the bands that don't put in the time that just kind of happen, they generally don't last. I think Weezer is the exception to that rule because apparently they get signed at their first their first show. I still would like to talk about the new stuff, too. Yeah, I'm making a solo record, and it's really good. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, seriously, I've always wanted to make a solo record, but it always seemed like a stupid thing to do because Everclear is my band. I, you know, there's nothing, it, nothing comes out that doesn't sound the way I want it to sound, so it's it, it would seem kind of like a useless vanity thing to do a solo album. That's why I never did one on Capitol, even though they tried to get me to do it. But what I always wanted to do was do a record where I play everything, and I'm not really a great drummer or this and that. I can get by. But this is just me and my engineer slash co-producer, and uh, we're just in my little studio I built in Pasadena, and it's, it's mostly acoustic so far. We've got about nine songs, basics down, and uh, writing more on the road. I'm going to finish it this, this fall. Yeah. I'll deliver it late, late fall. Did you know it's uh, actually That's... the 20th anniversary of the song Overwhelming from the Permanent Midnight soundtrack, which just happens to be the first time nationally that you'd build yourself solo? That's actually really good to know. I Was it 20 years? Yeah, Permanent was Midnight came out in t- 1998. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. I remember Ben Stiller and uh, Jerry Snow, the guy that the, the book was about, you know. And uh, they came to a show down in, I think, Laguna Beach. And then me and Ben hung out for a little bit, like, over the next few months. And, uh, yeah, I wrote that song. Ben liked it. He wanted me to write a song, so I wrote a song. And uh, after seeing a rough of the movie... And really, the song has nothing to do with the movie. That's more personal, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, feeling stuff. But, and uh, I remember recording it with this producer, Paul Fox, the only other producer I've ever worked with. And, uh, yeah, I and I haven't heard that version in a long time because we re- recorded it for Songs from the American Movie Volume 2, like about, I'd say, two years later. So that's interesting that that was 20 years. Wow. Yeah, it's a nice uh, wraparound there. And, and even to tie it in back, you know, to those World of Noise songs, I, I, it was sort of, I was kind of laughing because there's a line in one of the songs where you talk about hearing Grandma sing those country songs. And I thought, you know, here you've got a solo record that's got, you know, apparently some, some banjo and acoustic, and it seems like the full circle in, in a way. Absolutely. There's dobro banjo, there's slide. I'm playing slide on it, and uh, 
it's all acoustic, 12 strings, mandolin, mandola. Yeah, it, this, this, it, it is kind of full circle because this, this record has a definite Americana kind of feel to it. It's really rough. I want it to be rough. I don't want it to be overproduced. I really have to push myself to not make it overproduced. But right now, it's, you know, it's still in the later embryonic stage, you know? I, it's, I, I don't know what it's going to sound like till it's done, and I don't know what it's going to be called until it's done. It'll tell me what it's supposed to be called, just like all my albums do. When I try to name them before they're done, I always change the name because it just doesn't mean what, you know, it doesn't make any sense anymore. It's just like so much for the afterglow. That was called Pure White Evil. Such a pretentious title. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it took me a few months and a couple of misses to, to figure it out. And I'm sure it will happen this way too. That's the fun of the process. And that's what I wanted. I still wanted this to be fun and do something I hadn't done before. I can't wait to hear it, man. And uh, and hopefully we can do this again when that's out and dig into that one a little bit deeper as well. Okay, I look forward to it. It's uh, good talking to you. You too. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. <laughs> All right, take Bye-bye. care. Bye. There it is, 2018 interview with Art Alexakis talking about the uh, the Everclear record, the debut Everclear record, World of Noise, and the debut solo record, Sun Songs. And again, thanks to Art, and thanks to you for checking out the series, listening to the entire episode. Uh, before you get out of here, I hope you were inspired to uh, give the series a rating, maybe even leave a review as well. Tell people tell people what they're missing about this. If you're not a subscriber, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Podchaser, Acast, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast from, you can subscribe there as well. And then after that, you can head to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour of a new song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and even more interviews. That's wfpk.org. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.